Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When control was lost, the car hit a wall and overturned. All four young people were dead. Very, very sad. The whole area, we're all devastated. Heartbreaking. The community is numb at the moment. Um, we're really feeling this. Beginning in Clonmel last Friday with the crash that claimed the lives of four young people on their way to celebrate the leaving search results, this past week has seen nine fatalities in total on our roads. And that's at the time of recording. Those deaths have put the issue of road safety firmly back in the headlines. Irish Times reporter Mark Hilliard has combed through new statistics from the Road Safety Authority and the trend for this year looks bleak, with the number of road deaths set to be the worst in six years. Up until today, about 125 fatalities on Irish roads, which is uh, far in excess of last year and which uh, is unfortunately catapulting us towards a record year. And while road death numbers for this year serve as a stark reminder of where road safety was in the bad old days, CEO at the RIAC, Conor Faulkner, says significant progress in terms of road safety has been made here over the past two decades. We reduced road deaths by two-thirds and essentially we copied the best practice examples of countries like Sweden and the UK and Irish road deaths tumbled. And now with the government review on speeding limits in the works and the ambitious Vision Zero policy that's been pursued across the EU, including in Ireland, there are hopes that the upper trend in road fatalities will reverse. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, after years of declining numbers, why are road deaths on the rise again? Mark, by any measure, this week has been a very dark week for road safety. It has indeed, and it's, it's really thrown the issue uh, back into the spotlight where many people say it ought to be. Uh, beginning last Friday, of course, with that um, horrendous crash in Clonmel where the four young people who were on their way to celebrate the Leaving Cert results uh, crashed in, in the single vehicle uh, incident, and that, that really... Uh, pulls the issue of fatalities back uh, headlong in, into the spotlight. Uh, that was quickly followed, of course, by the crash in Cashel uh, with the two uh, grandparents, Thomas O'Reilly and Bridget O'Reilly, and lost their grandson, Tom O'Reilly, who was only three, of course. Uh, two of, or one of two road victims in the last six days who were just three years old. Uh, on Tuesday, we had Dave, uh, Davy McLaughlin from Derry, uh, who died in a crash in Donegal. And then, of course, uh, just on Wednesday, uh, three-year-old Rosaline McDonough, who lost her life. Now, we have a road safety authority, and I suppose one of its remits, it's, it's charged with making the road safer for everyone. And it has just released its figures to you from January the 1st to August 29th. What do those figures say? Yeah, they, they give us a recap, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, everybody talks about the sort of inappropriateness of boiling all of this down into statistics. But really, that's what we have to do to try and understand what's going on in Irish roads. Uh, and, and as a measure of just how bad the last week or so has been, even even the up-to-date figures 
that the RSA provided us with were, were slightly uh, inaccurate by by the time we're recording this. Uh, so, so up until today, about 125 fatalities on Irish roads, which is uh, far in excess of last year and which uh, is unfortunately catapulting us towards a record year. Uh, and when you consider that in the context that last year itself was the highest uh, year for fatalities within the previous seven years, um, it's really taking us in the wrong direction um, where we're supposed to be going with policy. And I get your point about the statistics, but I suppose this week, you know, we've we've learned so much about those people that died that we really are seeing faces to the numbers. And let's hope that that also makes a difference in our understanding and appreciation of, of how dangerous the roads have become. Now, what counties have the highest number of road fatalities? So what we tend to see with fatalities, it, it won't surprise people, is that in, in the the more dense counties, the urban areas tend to ha- tend to have the highest. Uh, but actually, so far this year, Dublin um, hasn't really uh, factored. Dublin have had um, six fatalities in 2023. Um, the four counties that are really uh, have recorded the highest numbers are Tipperary with 14, uh, Galway and Mayo both with 11, and Cork with 10. Together, collectively, they've seen a 30, 37% of the total fatalities this year. When the RSA give you these figures, do they, do they sort of say why they think that's the case? No, not really. I suppose the problem with analysing uh, road fatalities and serious injuries is that, you know, by its very nature, road crashes are arbitrary. They're difficult to understand the patterns. Uh, and, and they're all different. They're all very different. Yeah. And it depends. I mean, you, you've got so many variables at play. You've got road conditions. You've got the uh, fitness of the driver. You've got the fitness of the vehicle. You know, all of these things inter- interplay with each other. And that's why it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint not only causes, but patterns, you know, and, and the, R- the RSA do their, do their best uh, to project where we're going. Uh, and this year, based on, on average fatality rates by month, uh, we're we're going way off course uh, from the from the target number. Target number might sound insensitive, but it's really you know going back to the point of, of trying to understand uh, where we are through data. That's the modelling is is what is really the only indicator to show us how successful we're being in combating this problem. And of course, that's before we get into the dark winter months, the dark autumn, the dark winter months. And we know that the most dangerous time to be on the roads is between eight pm and eight am. I think the the RSA tells us so. The authority also has provided data on pedestrians and motorcyclists in the first half of the year. What, what is that? Yeah, pedest- so what, what we see every year as well is that the, the level of fatality and injury varies between the type of, of road user. So, it, you know, in recent times, it's been a very big issue uh, with motorcyclists. Uh, there were uh, 20 fatalities last year. Uh, this year we're already at 18 and we're only coming out of August. Cyclists, uh, only four fatalities, I say only, but obviously we're speaking comparably. Uh, there's been 27 pedestrian fatalities, 29 uh, passenger fatalities and 44 uh, driver fatalities. So again, you know, you look at uh, bar charts of this type of data and it's skewed. It goes up and down for each category every, every year. The pedestrian fatalities are quite shocking, aren't they? They are. And a lot of people will say that uh, much of this has to do with, you know, dark rural roads. We've all been on them. A lot of them are 
uh, unsafe to walk on. That's, no paths. That's yeah. no, no paths, no visibility, extremely dark. That's not to say that that's the circumstances for all of, for all of these uh, accidents. But uh, some, some people I've spoken to in the area of policy have said that really road engineering is something that we have to get on top of. There's an awful lot of uh, road upgrade and improvement works uh, planned for around the country that are still outstanding and people say that that needs to be speeded up. Just, just as one area, we could make improvements uh, in road safety. But again, we can't you know, suggest that, that these are the issues that directly led to these pedestrian fatalities. Of course. Now, you mentioned injuries there. Does the RSA have any data on the number of serious and, uh, you know, often life-changing injuries people experience in road traffic accidents? Yeah, I mean, this year there's been uh, hundreds of injuries, a lot of them potentially life-changing. Uh, the problem with, the, with, there's a lot of issues around how we measure and how we interpret a serious injury. At the moment, the, the kind of standard definition that they use is that they include fractures, concussions, internal injuries, crushing, uh, severe cuts or shock, uh, which are all, all of which are serious enough to require medical attention. So, you know, in the area of shock, it would have to require medical attention um, to be considered a serious injury. Uh, and then obviously things like fract- fractures and internal injuries could, could be, li- be life-changing. And how is that data gathered, though, Mark? Who's, they le- who's they to lean, say? They lean heavily on uh, Garda information. And, and so uh, that is an imperfect system, to say the least. But the RSA and the HSE are currently uh, undertaking a study of sorts where they can try and shift that model more towards emergency department data. That will give us a much better and more accurate picture of the, the nature of injuries and the amount of injuries um, that are out there. W- one thing I would say is that we, we know from, from previous data that we've analysed that over the last 10 years, where road fatalities have tended to plateau, uh, they've obviously gone up uh, last year and looking, looking like going up more so this year. But over the, over the last decade or so, fatalities have plateaued, but there's been a huge escalation in serious injuries. And it's very difficult to interpret that again. It could just be an anomaly in, in some figures, but that's unlikely over over such a long period of time. But um, So where, where fatalities have historically reduced since the late 90s and plateaued in the last decade, uh, serious injury is becoming uh, more of an issue. Apparently, that could just be the way that it's, it's maybe more of them are being reported. Um, and certainly the international evidence is, is uh, holds that the way we report these injuries is insufficient to really understand the true picture. Connor, sadly, this week is consistent with the trajectory of this year's road fatality statistics, isn't it? Yeah, it's an awful postcard from the past, Bernice. I mean, Irish road safety has been on a long journey over a 20-year period, 25-year period. We've improved in leaps and bounds. There used to be over 400 people killed on the roads every year. Uh, that's down now to, you know, in the neighbourhood of 160, which is still a terribly grim number. But road safety had been a success story. We really had been making progress. Um, and that seems to have gone to hell uh, this year. Uh, to 2023. Uh, There were signs last year that uh, things were worsening and this year just has been atrocious and uh, we're looking at a death rate on Irish roads that is 40% higher than it was in 2019, which is probably the best comparator year. It's immediately pre-pandemic. So we're going to try to tease out why that might be. What is, in your view, the most common contributing factor to fatal road accidents in Ireland? 
Well, you know, there's a lot of analysis done on it over many years. Uh, The trite answer is the Mark 1 human being. Driver error is, you know, a component in in, in the vast majority of accidents that occur. But more specifically than that, uh, we know that speed, failure to wear seatbelts and alcohol use remain the main killers. Um, uh, but we also know that it's it's a driver behaviour thing and, and one of the best countermeasures we have and one of the reasons why road safety had been a success heretofore is that you've got to have the physical presence of Gardaí on the ground. Now I know the road traffic core is way below its theoretical strength and you just don't see Gardaí on the roads, you just don't see them. And that, unfortunately, creates a culture where inevitably standards drift. Uh, and I think across the piece, that is probably the single biggest factor, uh, although there are other factors. And of course, when you get down to the level of an individual accident or an individual tragedy, uh, you can't cover it with a trite remark like Morgarthy. But I think nationally, it's the biggest factor. And is it still the case, you know, we, we, we often hear that young men, and certainly the insurance companies load young men when it comes to premiums, so that suggests that young men are still the highest risk drivers on the road. For a number of years now, the insurance companies have been forced uh, by law uh, to ignore the gender uh, when it comes to rating risk. So actually, you know, that, 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 that means that young men get cheaper insurance than they otherwise would do if they were rated correctly. And it also means that young women pay more. Uh, so, you know, that's, that you, you could debate whether that's equality or fairness. Uh, but that's an old argument in insurance terms. So, so the insurance companies are no longer allowed to look at risk. But road safety uh, policy people most certainly are. And the data is unambiguous. Uh, the, the highest risk group on the roads are young males. Um, they stand out. Uh, now, that, that they're not the only high-risk group, and it can feel like an unfairness when you paint them with the brush, because uh, there are certainly plenty of responsible young male drivers. But statistically, they are far and away the highest risk group, no doubt about that. Was there a time that it looked like we had a handle on road safety? Oh, yeah. In fact, we were a success story. Um, If you take sort of the last 20, 25 years of road safety um, across the European Union and in fact across the developed world, all of the countries resolved around about the millennium to have road debts. They were, you know, it was very much the the vogue, if you like. And, and all countries set about doing it with varying degrees of success, but usually with success and none better than Ireland. We made massive progress. We, we, we reduced road debts by two thirds. And we did that in a number of ways. Road infrastructure improved, the quality of cars improved, but we also brought in a penalty point system. We started to get serious about drinking and driving. We created a guard, the traffic core, and, and, you know, brought in automated speed cameras, all the stuff that people are used to. Um, and essentially we copied the best practice examples of countries like Sweden and the UK, who had been good for many, many years. And Irish road debts tumbled. We were, you know, in a success story on a pan-European basis. We were the poster child. We made massive, massive progress. Um, But that plateaued uh, a number of years ago. Essentially, we caught up. We caught up with British and Swedish road safety standards, became one of the best countries in the world. And progress then plateaued about seven or eight years ago. Uh, And then more recently than that, coming out of the pandemic, uh, it feels as if we've taken a significant step backwards. I think uh, one area where there has been some success, uh, but it's only my instinct, and that's in the area of drink driving. 
I think that became, you know, socially unacceptable. No doubt that's true. Uh, we've we've travelled a journey on that, but uh, you know, older drivers will remember. Cast your mind back thirty years, those who can. Drinking and driving was a cultural norm, and um, even people who felt they were well behaved considered that you know only having two or three pints or maybe the fourth constituted good behaviour. Um, and you know, the people were willing to drive cars roaring drunk, and it was almost, uh, um, as I say, a cultural norm. And you know, people told jokes about avoiding Gardaí. That's all gone. Now, we still have a population, some of whom will take risks with alcohol, um, but everybody knows that it's wrong and we have significantly reduced alcohol-related deaths. Uh, But you can overstate that or you can understate that, Bernice. Things are better than they were, but alcohol remains a massive problem. It is probably the single biggest killer uh, on our roads um, and, and alcohol usage patterns are still dangerous uh, and there are different types of drink driver the, the type of drink driver who you know is so drunk um, that they wobble out of the pub and into the car uh, they're actually rare they're actually rare and you know surprisingly dangerous though it is you know they, they're not the ones that really show up in the stats and um, more likely you've got somebody who take a risk with three or four pints uh, probably know they're taking a bit of a risk feel as if they're not drunk at all but all of the data including the accident data demonstrates that there are they are in fact you, you can see that their risk rate is six times greater than that of a normal driver and those high risk behaviors um are, are are really what what cause the deaths what laws do you think have had the most impact when it comes to road safety We passed a series of really quite revolutionary laws over a period of maybe 10 years, uh, centred around 20 years ago. We brought in penalty points, didn't have them before. Uh, We we made it much easier for Gardaí to prosecute for drinking and driving, changed the rules around checkpoints and random breath testing. Really useful. Um, We actually have a good set of laws on our statute books. Um, there may be some additional ones that are needed, and we've tweaked with things like laws around mobile phone use. Um, but, but generally speaking, when road safety reaches a crisis of some sort, uh, the tendency is for a bit of navel-gazing to go on and for people to dream up either new laws or harsher punishments. Um, and actually, that's not really what we need. Um, we, we need to enforce the laws we have. But in answer to your direct question, what have been the most revolutionary changes that we've made legally uh, over the last years? I'd probably say the penalty point system, um, which works really, really well, did everything it was supposed to do as written on the tin when it was designed um, and has no doubt uh, changed the culture. Um, and, and, you know, it, we, we can't imagine our roads without it now. Um, but it was new and it was controversial and uh, didn't have believers when it was brought in first. And, and as somebody who was involved in lobbying to bring it in, um, I, I can only be pleased with that outcome. Look, you know, why we buy a particular car, um, how long we keep it for and so on. That's all very sophisticated psychology and, and marketing. And I, you know, I think it's safe to say that people have too much car. You know, I, I live in Dijkdorp, suburbia, beside a school, and the mornings are bumper to bumper with cars that are better suited to the foothills of the Himalayas than a school run in a, you know, a 50 kilometre an hour suburb. Um, and so much of car buying is about status. And 
you know, the government has fed into that on foot of car lobbying. The car lobby, you, you, you work in that area. The car lobby is very, very, very strong. I mean, you look what happened with the number plates. There is no reason why we should tell everybody what age our car is. And worse, in six-month increments, that is just feeding into something that we shouldn't be feeding into. So, you know, with, without shooting yourself in the foot, is, is the car lobby too strong? Yeah, well, the the shortest possible answer to that question is yes, Bernice. But it really is fascinating, and I've been soaked in it for 30 years. The the car lobby, in inverted commas, the big manufacturers, is a giant global industry. Um, And look, you know, historically, they haven't behaved very ethically. Uh, They just ruthlessly follow um, their their, their own path. And you could look at scandals going back as far as the Ford Pinto scandal in the US, uh, or the Dieselgate scandal more recently. Uh, Google those, they'd make the in the back of your neck stand up and um, you know like big oil big car uh, doesn't have a brilliant track record uh, where ethics are concerned and and you know for years uncounted yeah they use marketing tricks of all sorts to make their vehicles desirable and sell them to us as consumers uh, in the 60s and 70s they draped a woman in a bikini on the bonnet nowadays they sell on the basis of how clean the car is they also cars are too big Cars sold for domestic use are physically too big. I've I've said that before. Um, But, you know, let's look at the other side of that ledger if we're realistic, Bernice. Because you compel them, you can get big car to do really good things. And an example on that is the environmental uh, and climate issue. Uh, Now, not for reasons of ethics, but for reasons of market efficiency and laws passed by Europe and by the USA. Uh, The car industry has poured gargantuan amounts of research and development money into electric cars. A few years ago, Elon Musk was the only one who could do it. Now Volkswagen are spending something like 5 billion euros per year in R&D in that area. And they are producing cars that are zero emission. Uh, extraordinary progress. Cars are answering the environmental critics. You know, if agriculture had made that level of progress in the climate conversation over the last 20 years, um, but, you know, big car has, for reasons that you might think of as cynical, but it just goes to show you that um, you can make much progress with that. And then likewise, um, in parallel, cars have become much, much safer and much, much safer uh, over the last 20 years or so. And that's to do with everything from Euro NCAP independent crash tests to crumple zones and airbags to modern safety systems like um, pedestrian radars and automatic braking, all sorts of good stuff that make the cars themselves a great deal safer. Coming up, what does the government's road safety strategy look like for the coming years? 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In this very dark week for road deaths, you interviewed Liz O'Donnell. She is the chairperson of the RSA, the Road Safety Authority, about the sort of initiatives uh, she and her, her, her team are working on. One is called the Vision Zero policy. What's that? Yeah, Vision Zero is a European-wide uh, policy and it has been you know, officially adopted in Irish policy and in our road safety strategy. Uh, and I think we're into the area of hostage to fortune here. Um, it's a very, very ambitious target, to say the least, that would see us completely get rid of all fatalities on Irish roads and indeed on European roads by by the year 2050. You know, a lot of people think it's it's pie in the sky stuff. It's critics would say that. And certainly what, what we've seen so far this year shows that we're going, in, you know, starkly in, in the wrong direction to achieving this. Um, and then, of course, uh, along with the, the zero target, uh, we're looking at having uh, an, an average uh, road death uh, figure to about 72 by 2030 within seven years. Now, I, I interviewed Sam Wade, the chief executive of the RSA before, and he described even getting that figure to below 100 would be, in his words, a paradigm shift. When you talk to the RSA, do they ever sort of isolate one particular action that would really help? Or is it just too complex? Is it there, there are too many moving parts? It's too complex. There's too many moving parts. A lot of people, um, a lot of the critics, and even Liz O'Donnell herself, when I was speaking to her this week, would say that enforcement is an issue. You know, We're all very familiar uh, with the, the pressure on the Garda resources. So that there's, there's multiple uh, factors here. We have an inability, apparently, by the state to recruit enough Garda. Uh, we've seen recently the demands on extra Gardaí to police the streets because of public order issues in, in Dublin and in urban areas. Uh, and then we've seen a historic decline in roads policing numbers. Uh, and that that's juxtaposed with, you know, previous government uh, promises that we would we incre- greatly increase the amount of guards on the road. That's not happening. And then all of that is kind of further complicated by the fact that there is a sort of unspoken behind-the-scenes guard of view that uh, smart policing uh, is is a better way to police the roads. And that would include things like uh, uh, go-safe vans. They're increasing those this year over the next few months. But also these point-to-point speed cameras, uh, which which are highly vaunted as, as one of the answers, whereby if you start at point A and you get to point B 100 kilometres away and your average speed is over a certain figure, then, you know, they, they've caught you speeding. They issue, issue you with the fine. It would be an inescapable system and it wouldn't involve a single guard on the road. So, so a lot of policing, uh, understandably and, you know, sensibly looks to those those types of solutions. Now, government also has a strategy. It's the road safety strategy. And part of that is that it's reviewing speed limits. Um, And look, that's not surprising because, you know, we've seen enough ads that tell us that speed kills. So speed is obviously crucial to to try to get under control. Do we know what these recommendations are? We don't yet, but we have a good strong indication of, of what they are. So really what we're talking about is, is drastically reducing uh, the speed limit bans, I suppose you might call them. Uh, and if, if they acted on this, it could be argued to be the most radical overhaul of road safety policy. So you'd be looking at, you know, in urban areas where we're used to having a default 
uh, speed limit of 50 kilometers. So we all know if you can't see a speed limit sign, then it means you drive at 50 kilometers an hour, right? So now they're talking about reducing that to 30 as a blanket. We've seen that in some areas around urban parts of the country, but now they're talking about bringing it in as a blanket uh, default speed limit. Then similarly, we would see the 80 kilometer zones being reduced to 60 kilometers and we'd see the 100 kilometer zones being reduced to 80 kilometers. Now, all indications are that that's what this report is going to recommend, but we, we will have to wait and see the actual document. Okay, now, when this document does emerge, it'll go to Cabinet. Do you think, going on previous attempts to reduce speed limits, it'll experience pushback, and despite the road deaths? It's going to experience massive pushback, and this is going to be a huge, huge challenge uh, for the government. And, of course, we're likely to see a change of government as well before any any kind of legislation related to this, even if it gets that far, is pushed through the doll. I spoke to one very senior uh, official in in the road safety apparatus who said that the events of the last week, if anything positive can come out of it, that that it would catapult this issue to the the top of the government agenda. But then speaking to Susan Gray in Park, the, the road safety advocacy group, you know, she kind of throws our hands in the air when, when we talk about this uh, this report. As she points out, they've been talking about reviewing speed limits since 2011 and it, oh. just, it goes from one minister to the next and nothing ever seems to be done. She also makes the point and, and, and stands up that uh, e- even if this report uh, is produced and brought to cabinet as it's expected to be next month, then it it begins a whole legislative process assuming it's it's passed by cabinet and there's bound to be pushback even at that early stage. You're talking at least two years, you know, before any legislative progress can be made on something like this. Thanks very much, Mark. That's it for today. For more from Mark Hilliard on the proposed road safety measures, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Monday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.